0: Recently, I heard a guy describe an experience he had visiting his son's uh, elementary uh, school classroom. It was uh, parent visitation day, and the teacher had some special things planned, including a game for the students called the Balloon Stomp, and I think most of you know uh, what this game is. Every student has a balloon tied to his or her leg, and then the object is to go around stomping on other people's balloon, popping their balloon, but protecting your own. Uh, it's totally Darwinian, it's uh, <laughs> survival of the fastest, and, uh, and it's one of those games that can, uh, can bring out the worst in people, and uh, it certainly did for the students in this class. Uh, the teacher blew the whistle, and it was dog eat dog. Uh, Some kids focused on domination and stomped on everything they could get their foot on. And then there were some kids that were totally intimidated and ran in the corner to protect their balloon from uh, being hurt. And the kids were were pushy. Uh, Some kids got pushed. Uh, Everybody was attacking others and protecting themselves until one balloon remained. And that kid was the winner. Because, you know, in balloon stomp, there's one winner. And everybody else is a loser. But then, this dad described what happened next. Uh, It turns out that his son's class was paired with a special needs class, which was there in the same room at the same time and was going to participate in the same game. Uh, These students uh, were severely developmentally challenged. And when this dad realized this, he was afraid of what was going to happen with dread. He watched his balloons were uh, tied onto uh, the legs of, of these kids, and uh, they were briefed on the rules. But soon, this dad's dread turned into delight because the whistle blew, and the kids didn't really understand what was supposed to happen because the explanation was so brief and rushed. Uh, the only thing they really understood was, was that these balloons were supposed to get popped. And uh, so instead of protecting their own balloons and attacking others, they began, began cooperating and helping each other pop each other's balloons. And so one little girl kind of put her balloon kind of like a, a place kicker in a football team. And another little boy came over and popped the balloon. And when it popped, they, uh, the girl hugged him and congratulated him. And then, and then the, the little boy held his balloon and when she popped uh, his balloon, they hugged again. And so balloons were popping and, and then it was, when all the balloons were popped, then these kids, they celebrated, began to cheer, hugged each other and said, we did it, we did it. Everybody won. There were no losers. And I have a deep question for you. And the deep question is, Which class got it right and which class got it wrong? Another question. Which way do you play the game in life? Which way would you prefer that the game were played in your life? I think you'd prefer to play the game in a way that begins and ends with hugs. I think you'd prefer to play the game without the the winning and the losing, without all all the attacking and protecting... I think you'd like to live this way, but you say, that's impossible. That's unrealistic. I don't see any way out of the life of of balloon stomping that I'm living now. Well, Jesus has something to say that will save you. Jesus wants to give you something that will save you. It's love. It's real love. It's his love, God's love. And Jesus teaches about this saving love in a story, in in an account of a dinner that he had with a religious leader named Simon. You might want to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, or your device, or you can just listen to these words about a dinner that Jesus had with Simon. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town uh, who was uh, known as a sinner or had lived a sinful life Uh, also uh, heard that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered his thoughts, saying, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Uh, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is showing. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This is a powerful story that ends with a profound statement. The profound statement is, he who is forgiven little, loves little. Or uh, Jesus also implies the opposite. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. Now, who in this account loves much? Well, it's this woman who stands behind Jesus crying with her tears falling on jesus feet now the first thing i have to get right uh, in my picture of what's happening here is i need to ask the question why is she crying if i picture this woman weeping out of sadness or sorrow or shame i miss the whole point of this account the wording makes it clear that this lady is not weeping because she's sad she's crying tears of celebration and overwhelming gratitude and relief. This woman is celebrating like those special needs kids who hugged each other with joy. She's hugging Jesus with this this extraordinary joy and celebration. But of course, Simon represents the other way of playing the game. Simon is a balloon stomper. He sees people in terms of winners and losers, superior and inferior, good and bad. Simon is the one who loves little in this story. And Jesus pities him because he needs to be saved. He needs this love that saves from appearances, of course, Simon doesn't seem like he needs to be saved from anything, right? Compared to this woman, Simon is powerful and wealthy and has a great reputation and resume. He doesn't need to be saved from anywhere, but anything. But see, God in the flesh is there. Jesus looked past Simon's outer appearance and into Simon's heart and read his thoughts and what Jesus saw there was Simon's need to be saved by love. And if you're willing to meet with Jesus right now, in this quiet moment, Jesus is looking beyond your exterior and into that part of you where Jesus wants you to receive afresh, or maybe for the first time, His love that saves you. But saves you from what? How does God's love save people like simon and like me well first god's love saves me from a superiority mindset in the middle of my high school career i did something no teenager wants to do i moved to a new state to a new school a new high school the state i moved to uh, is connecticut and the high school i entered was trumbull high school where i had no friends and I had no idea what I was doing, which became very obvious on the first day when I walked into the school cafeteria. Everyone got in line and bought their lunch. I didn't know about this lunch buying thing, so I was the only one in the cafeteria who bought, brought my lunch bag, actually a lunch box, and I found out that people in Trumbull High are not into the Partridge family like I was, and, uh, <laughs> but it got worse. Uh, I didn't have anyone to sit with, Uh, and so I just sat at the only table that was empty. I took out my peanut butter sandwich, began eating, and became conscious that a lot of people were staring at me, Uh, not just out of curiosity, but with something like shock and fear. And this was long before, you know, peanut butter was a toxic substance, so that... (laughs) That, that wasn't it, wasn't what I was eating, it was something else. And I was about to find out there was a group heading my way an impressive group. Uh, guys were big, the girls were very beautiful, they had an attitude of superiority. They were athletes, they were good looking, they were popular, they were the in crowd, and I was not. And you know the transgression that I had committed. You know that by accident I was sitting at the cool table, (laughs) the cool table. Every high school has a cool table, and woe be to the junior from out of state who unknowingly sits at the cool table. I knew I was in trouble, but before I could remove myself, I was surrounded by very big and very popular and very hostile, cool people who made it clear that I was in the wrong place and that I was not welcome at this table, and I never would be welcome at their table. They made it so clear that even though this happened 40 years ago, if I went back into that room and saw that table, I wouldn't risk it. (laughs) There's a cool table here in Luke chapter 7. At dinner... Uh, Simon looked at this weeping woman, and Jesus could read his mind. And from his superiority mindset, Simon was saying, my table is the cool table, and this woman will never be welcome at my table. Now, we don't know exactly why Simon considered this woman inferior, probably for the same reasons that people today, in their minds, they never say it out loud, but people today will consider some people to be inferior to them. Uh, Luke uh, refers to uh, this woman's wayward lifestyle. But it was probably also mixed in with her race, her nationality, her lack of education, or her poverty. We don't know all the reasons why Simon considered this woman inferior. We know that Simon did consider her inferior, and we know that Jesus saw Simon's superiority mindset and Jesus hated it. Jesus really doesn't like a superiority mindset. Jesus hates it because of what a superiority mindset does to the person who owns it. Jesus can see how uh, this superiority mindset creates this uh, It traps this person in a social comparison double bind, where this person who gets in the habit of comparing him or herself to other people spends half the time in feelings of superiority and the other half in jealousy. How this person spends half the time mentally condemning other people and the other half of the time feeling condemned and condemning themselves. Jesus hates this superiority mindset because of what it does to the person who owns it. But Jesus also hates it because of what it does to the people who are treated as inferior. To Jesus, there is no such thing as an inferior person. And I want to emphasize this truth, that there are no inferior people. I want to emphasize this because I fear that there are here many religious people. And history proves that there's something about being religious that can give people a superiority complex. This is why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees. If you know anything about the Gospels, you know that Jesus was rather comfortable with people who were failing in life and know about their need for forgiveness. But that Jesus was uncomfortable around religious people. Where by religious people, I don't mean people who love God. By religious people, I mean people who love keeping rules more than loving God. I'm referring to religious people who love rule-keeping more than people. I mean those who love rules that make them feel superior. Of course, it's possible to follow rules in life that are, are motivated by a love for God or a love for people, but that's not religion. Being religious means following rules designed to earn approval from people, earn approval from God, and earn a self-image that makes me feel superior and give me license to treat other people as inferior. Simon was one of those religious people. And it's possible that you are. It's possible that I can be one of those religious people because churches are full of them unfortunately there are many people who attend even churches like black rock who miss the whole point they miss the whole point that jesus didn't come to start a religion jesus came to save us from religion they miss the point that Jesus came to save us from following rules to get God's approval. They miss the point that Jesus came to save us into a friendship with God that comes simply by receiving his forgiveness as a gift. They miss the whole point that Jesus' love comes to save us from the toxic effects of religion and the superiority mindset that often comes with it. Jesus' love saves us from, from this Superiority mindset as one by one we come and we receive this forgiveness that comes from Jesus. This forgiveness saves us from ever thinking because we know how flawed we are in this forgiveness. It saves us from ever thinking that we are superior than other people. Love saved this woman. She had received forgiveness of her debt before God through Jesus and was overwhelmed with this weeping joy, but not Simon. No, Simon thought his rule keeping paid his debt before God. Simon loved little because he was forgiven little. Since Simon had no sense of his, of God's grace in his life, he had little ability to show grace to other people. You see Simon's lack of grace in his treatment toward this woman? In Simon's heart, there's no room at his cool table for people who don't deserve it. But when I receive God's forgiveness in Jesus, God's love saves me from a graceless heart. If I have truly been forgiven by this of this massive debt that I could never pay back to God, how can I but but show the same grace to other people? Of course I can show love to people who don't deserve it from me because I don't deserve the love that God gives to me in this grace. Of course I can forgive those who hurt me because I have been forgiven by the one I sent to the cross not only does an experience of God's forgiveness save me from a graceless heart, God's love saves me from an ungrateful spirit. It's impossible to miss the weeping gratitude of this woman as she pours out this thanks to her Savior. She's she's just exploding with gratitude, but not Simon. Like all religious people, Simon senses no need for forgiveness from God. Simon does not sense he's receiving any grace from God, and therefore, Simon has no gratitude toward God. But love saves. This is what Jesus wanted for Simon. Jesus called Simon to receive his love that would save him from this superiority mindset, from this graceless heart, and his unforgiving spirit. By receiving God's forgiveness and experiences in His saving love, that's what Jesus wants for me too. And this diagram shows how God's love works. This diagram shows how God loves the world so much that he came in Jesus to die on the cross to pay the debt that we could never pay to God. And then, as one by one, we put faith in Jesus, this experience of receiving this forgiveness saves us from the balloon-stomping lifestyle of a superiority mindset and the bitterness of a graceless heart and the joylessness of an ungrateful spirit. Those who are forgiven much, then love much. Those who are forgiven much, love much at home. Because you see, they've received grace from God, and so they can give that grace. They can keep forgiving those in their home, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, moms and dads, those who hurt them over and over again. Those that love much at work have a grateful heart where they don't criticize everybody, and complain about everything. Those who love much at school show it by reaching out to those who are bullied, to those who are outcasts, those who are shunned as inferiors. And if you don't see this happening through you, if you don't see this love much pouring out of you, you need a fresh experience of jesus forgiveness of god's forgiveness let love save you i believe that jesus love saved simon the clue is in that part of the story which says that jesus answered simon's private thoughts that jesus heard those private thoughts simon knew that jesus read his mind but no one else did I mean, it's not like Luke could have known unless Simon told him, which means that in all likelihood, Simon himself is the source of this story, how he had a dinner party one night and had no love for a woman who approached his cool table but how Jesus read his mind and how Jesus showed him a forgiveness that saved him from his superiority mindset, his graceless heart, and his ungrateful spirit. Simon discovered the truth that wherever Jesus is, that's the cool table, and everyone is invited. Jesus has a table, and he's inviting you to it today to receive his forgiveness afresh at his table there is a bread there is bread and there is a cup that represent his saving love and he invites you right now to his cool table so come now and receive his forgiveness afresh let love save you from a superiority mindset from a graceless heart, from an unforgiving spirit. Come with all the gratitude that emerges when you take your seat at Jesus' cool table. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.